0: Happy Monday. I'm Charlie Sykes. Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It's going to be a hell of a week. It's going to be a very busy week. Um, In case you're just, you know, catching up, we're getting juicy new details about Vladimir Putin's kleptocracy, which turns out to be just as bad as you thought it was. Uh, We have an even more extraordinary look at, at what Tim Miller calls the MAGA trashiest police report in history. Which is which raises the question: Is Corey Lewandowski really a murderer, or, or did he just pretend that he is to get chicks? Um, Tim's piece actually has a link to the police report. I mean, you think you know the story, you know, you, you think you know the story of Corey Lewandowski and and the woman named Um, uh, but no, it's it's not. Trust trust me. And because everything comes all at once, we're also. Learning more about this mega grift of the now defunct media company, Ozzy, which I'm obsessed about. Um, um, more reminders about the awfulness of Facebook. Uh, meanwhile, the Democrats are continuing their brinksmanship and activists are behaving very badly in bathrooms. So with that segue, welcoming <laughs> my colleague, fellow podcast host, Mona Charon. Happy Monday, Mona.
1: Hi, Charlie. Always a delight to be with you.
0: Well, just a quick reminder that if if you do join Bulwark Plus, you have access to my daily newsletter, um, The Morning Shots. You also have access to... Jonathan, last triad and all of our other podcasts, in addition to this one, including Mona's, uh, beg to differ. And, uh, you've had, you've had some great guests on lately. And, and I know that, you know, that, that is, that's become really, I think one of the go-to places for really civil conversation in, in dramatic contrast to, to my podcast. Yeah, (laughs) that is so not true. (laughs) I I do not believe you've ever gotten an explicit rating.
1: Well, that is true. That part is true. But yours is very civil. Um, I I, I have to say, um, we haven't quite lived up to our title, which is Beg to Differ, uh, we do sometimes disagree, but unfortunately, because of the dangers to the republic, we find ourselves—we people, two of us center right, two of us center left—find ourselves much more often in agreement about the dangers to the society we're in uh, than disagreeing. But so be it.
0: I'm concerned that that may not last, but maybe we'll we'll set that aside yeah. for, for okay. a moment. Because things have become a little bit difficult uh, lately. So, okay, should we start off with a little bit of palate clean, uh, a little bit of palate cleansing? Yes. The weekend soundbite. Let's let's start off with Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who who really never disappoints. And I don't know whether what Madison is running for, but uh, clearly he's decided he's going to uh, position himself as a deep thinker about all things theological. This is Madison Cawthorn. Christians are supposed to be laissez-faire. We're not supposed to really, truly be involved in government or whatever's going on. I I encourage you, look back into the Old Testament. Look at David. Look at Daniel. Look at Esther. Look at all these people who influenced the governments of their day
2: to uphold Christian principles.
0: Okay. (laughs) This would come as breaking news to Uh, Esther and King David that they were upholding Christian principles. Yeah.
1: We, um... Yeah, you know, there, a lot of universities, Charlie, have um, remedial classes for students who need to be brought up to speed on basics like, you know, math and reading and so forth. Uh, you know, maybe we should have that for members of Congress, yeah, you know, old, just little up, up to speed on, you know, like basic facts. Yeah, uh, there was this little thing called... Uh, Christianity that debuted uh, around the year zero, right? And Judaism was its precursor. And well, well, okay, but never we, mind.
0: We know what he meant, right? In, in <laughs> that word salad, he wrote down some names from the Old Testament, and he's sort of going through. And it would be interesting to know what madison Cawthorn's definition of christianity actually is um
1: let me let me just say this about madison Cawthorn. this is actually i mean i know you're joking and everything and it is ridiculous but it's also it's also deeply disturbing i mean anybody who cares to look into who this guy is will find out that he's he's pretty much of a a reprobate i mean he he committed sexual assaults. He was uh, in college, which he only attended for like half a semester. He has about half a semester of college under his belt, and he worked in a Chick Fil A or, or or the equivalent. He has no background. He what he does have is disturbing, Um, and you know the 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 the. Wise voters of North Carolina saw fit to put this very um, disreputable person in the Congress uh, purely on the strength of his loyalty to Trump. It is unbelievable,
0: well, speaking of the idiocracy, and we're referring to the voters of North Carolina, unlike the voters of Tennessee who elected Marshall Blackburn to the United States Senate. you know, and i'm I'm really kind of tempted here um to. To kind of, you know, poke at my, our good friend David French because he vouched for her, like how great Marshall Black. But I, but I am in no position to do that. I, sitting in Wisconsin with Ron Johnson, <laughs> cannot throw stones. So I we sort know. of have this mutual stand-up. You have Marshall Blackburn. I have Ron Johnson. Okay, can we call it even? I Yeah, I, I think so. So did you hear Marshall Blackburn over the weekend talking about the infrastructure reconciliation packages? Lay it on me. If, if not, here here is the deep thoughts of United States Senator Marshall Blackburn.
2: The Build Back Better agenda has become the Biden Build Back Broke agenda. And the American people have figured out that what they're trying to do is institutionalize socialism. Ah, They're trying to do a takeover of the country in one vote. They want government control of your kids. They want to look at your bank account for every transaction over $600. Anything that you do on Venmo and PayPal, they want a part of that transaction. They want government control. Government control of healthcare. They want to demoralize the military, close the churches, close. destroy your faith wait, wait, in the American wait, system, wait, and then wait. here they're going to come with the socialist program to run your life from cradle to grave, daylight to dark.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Um, the close the church, I miss that. I, I mean, I know, I, I know, that. I know that it's a it's a long bill. There are many many pages, but the the. <laughs> The Joe Biden, Kamala Harris plan to close the churches, where did I miss this, Mona? Bring me up Boy, to date.
1: Charlie, the um, the don't you love the subtleties of the arguments that they're trotting yeah. out? Uh, by the way, she is echoing Madison Cawthorn, so know. you know the ends is. meet. Because remember when he was at CPAC and he said the reason that he was opposed to vaccines is that if people, oh, there was an effort by the Biden administration to knock on doors and tell right. people that there was an, they could how they could access the vaccine if they if they did, right, and Cawthorn said that this was the uh, actually, a clever scheme to have people come and confiscate your Bibles your Bible. and your guns.
0: Yeah, th- this is a theme, right? I mean, they, yes. they 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 hate America. They hate you. They hate capitalism. They hate freedom. They hate God. And you're a victim, and therefore that's why you get, need to put me in power because I will protect you. And
1: you know, it, parties always have had some people on the fringes who sounded like this. And so, and they would be an embarrassment to the mainstream types, you know, who would sort of roll their eyes and say, well, I wouldn't put it that way, you know, but now those people are very much in the center. They're in the saddle and it's anybody who's reasonable, who's thoughtful, who recognizes any degree of nuance, who is not welcome. (laughs) I mean, those, those people are traitors, rhinos, cucks, et cetera. And uh, it is just a, it's just amazing to watch this degradation of intelligence and reason. Um, By the way, you know, Hmm. the, the fact is there are polls showing that on both sides of the political spectrum, people believe ridiculous things about the other party. I mean, widely so, right? So they believe, you know, a lot of Democrats believe that most Republicans are fascists and a, and a huge number of Republicans believe that Democrats are all socialists uh, and uh, and anti God and the rest of it. So um, it is uh, you know it's we're 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 in perilous waters here.
0: Well, you know what I mean. We, we we've talked a lot about the, you know the dumbing down of the political discourse. I mean, it's become cruder, meaner, and and exponentially more stupid. I mean, it really yes. is. It it really is though. Is if we become too worn down or exhausted to engage in, in, you know, linear thought that we're unwilling to actually craft arguments. And, and maybe, maybe what that reflects is the recognition that, that we can't make persuasive arguments anymore because we've given up on the whole business of persuasion, right? Of conversion, because it seems so pointless and and hopeless. So all of our energy and I, I mean, our, I mean, you know, people like Madison Cawthorn, and the Marshall Blackburns goes into just stoking, you know, people's anger, you know, reassuring people, outraging them. So I mean, we, we live in kind right. of an era where where, you know, these sort of, you know, blunt, crude statements are easier and more comfortable and more likely to be successful and get you clicks and, and campaign contributions than the heavy lifting of actually trying to make a case to change someone's mind. So this is
1: possibly a lesson in be careful what you wish for. All right, all right. Because, you know, for so long, like pretty much my entire adult lifetime, I have been hearing that one of the huge problems in American politics is the influence of big donors. yeah. And that big donors were distorting the process and that the people were not getting what they wanted because of the influence of these nefarious big donors. And I would wager that if you ask the average American whether this is the case, they would absolutely think so. And yet we now live in an era where um, the majority of fundraising is being done by small donors. And guess what? The way you appeal to small donors turns out to be even more destructive and dumbing down and incendiary than the way you appeal to big donors. And so now right. you, you they have every incentive to make people angry, to make people afraid, um, because that's what gets them to go to their, their credit card.
0: Right, and 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 you can do that by engaging in a word salad that makes no sense whatsoever. But there's no downside for these folks, and in, in fact, there's all sorts of incentives. Yes. So, Mona, since we're since we've decided we're going to wade into deep thoughts this early in in the in the podcast, usually I try to warm up, but but you, <laughs> I'm you know, sorry. We're, we're, <laughs> no, no, no. We're we're going there. I, I I I'm I was actually making notes for something that I may write in the future about our culture of grift. And this feels like it relates to all of this because it's not just politics. I mean, this is the thing, you know, we, we, the old cliche is that politics is downstream from culture. And and I, I, I've always believed that that's true. It's also true in terms of the dumbing down of our culture or or the willingness to believe lies or just being, you know, credulous. So, you know, if if somebody wanted to come up with a name for our era, I, I think, you know, it was the gilded age. We're kind of the grifted age, and I was thinking about this reading about the latest story about Aussie Media, which is the latest, you know, m- mega mega scam where it turns out that most of it's fake. I mean, there was something there, but you had all these famous people that vouched for it. And then when the New York Times looked at it, they basically said, Yeah, it's pretty much all bogus. And this comes after the whole Theranos scandal. And again, think of all the famous people that thought that that was a great thing turns out to be a fraud or the fire festival you know the fire festival being the classic example or all the billionaires that put money into we works you know what there, there's some pattern here um n- not just the fact that there are scammers and hoaxers out there because there always have been Yes, it's it's the scale and the scope and the credulity of otherwise smart, successful people that buy into the fake stuff. And I again, I make the list of, you know, uh, Ozzy and Theranos and Fire Festival, WeWorks and obviously, you know, hang over that is the whole Trump era and the big lie about the election. But it all fits into some sort of a pattern that I, that I haven't totally figured out yet. Why are why are we so yeah. dumb and easily, you know, easily scammed? Right. So it's
1: such an interesting yeah. thing. I, I've, I've wondered about it too. And I'm not sure I have any deep insight except to say um, that um, the, the credulity um, does seem to be, it seems to have been uh, kicked up several notches by Trump. You know, people who before him uh, would have said, would have, you know, engaged their logical brains are, are ready to say, no, I, the, the, the believing is so intoxicating that, uh, you know, it makes me part of something bigger than myself. So I'm going to just go ahead with the crowd. So that's, that's part of it. So he sort of, um, he knocked down some of the, um, guardrails about, um, about lying and about just choosing, choosing up sides when it comes to your own facts. Um, but regarding all these other grifts, um, I, you know, you say, right, you know, we've always had hucksters and, you know, just read Huckleberry Finn, you know, yeah. and the, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's all in there. Um, and, and that's that's for sure. Um, but I think that possibly part of what we're seeing, and it's going to take time for us to figure this all out. And maybe when you were living through it, it's, it's hard to get your arms around it. But the the changing technology um has created so many miracles so fast that people may be um more more inclined to think well this idea that sounds kind of crazy i mean maybe it maybe it's the new big thing you know the the personal computer started in somebody's garage you know people thought what the hell would you need a computer in your home for apparently that was uh, bill gates's mother said that um you know um Um, We, we've had, you know, Uber, we've had, um, you know, of course, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all of these things that were just created ex-Nielo. And suddenly they're multi-billion dollar enterprises. And maybe a lot of these smart people you referred to. Um, who got taken in by some of these scams really don't quite understand how these new things, you they know, actually
0: work. Obviously,
1: And right. And, and so actually, do you yeah. remember that when, when uh, they had a bunch of tech execs up on Capitol Hill and somebody was crossing, oh, one of the bad. senators was asking yeah. Zuckerberg, you know, well, but you don't charge your customers. So how do you make money? Oh, God.
0: <laughs> what was this? the the, sen- the Senator that asked like, what are you going to do about Finsta? Yeah, you know, Finsa. Really a, a fake account. <laughs> well, well, that's it. And there's that fear of, of missing out. And then there's apparently some sort of, you know, an elite group think where people, you know, if one famous person endorses something that other people will go, well, if so-and-so is on board, then I'm going to be on board. Because when you think about it, among the many weird things that we've seen in our lives, watching somebody as smart and savvy and sophisticated and skeptical as George Schultz Get yeah, dr- get dragged into Theranos. You go, okay, what's going on there? Yeah, or Steve Jobs's wife, you know, gets drawn into Ozzie. Uh, The oh, the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks was the chairman of of Ozzie. I mean, these are people who are hard headed business people in other contexts. But you're right; it's like you know, here's the cool stuff that's going on right now, and I don't want to miss out on that. I yeah. guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, also, you know, I mean. No offense to people who are getting on in years. I mean, I'm no spring chicken myself, but um, that fear of missing out that you mentioned, you know, when you get into your 80s and 90s, maybe you figure, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm going to sign on with this new thing, you know, and be with it.
0: Um, maybe that's it. Now, you know, look, I'm, I'm I I do think that Donald Trump has been an, an accelerant of all of this in terms of you know, disinformation and breaking down the guardrails. But you know, I go back and forth on this. He's also a product of it. I mean, the um, we we have a great piece up on the bulwark today about Facebook, and we're finding out all kinds of things about the Facebook algorithm. and And uh, and uh, the the piece that we have today, and I want to make sure I give credit to uh, Yevgeny uh, Simkin, talks about you know the reality of of Facebook and how Facebook is not the town square, which is a cliche that many of us had bought into in the past. He says, in a real town square. People who insist that COVID vaccines are filled with mind-controlled nanobots and the Jews are enslaving children are relegated to the fringes. On Facebook, though, they are brought together into powerful collectives, afforded megaphones, and algorithmically ushered into everyone's sphere of influence to corrupt otherwise rational and healthy discourse. In a real town square, if the entire town became convinced their mayor is the Christ Risen and decided they need to stockpile AK-47s in preparation for the apocalypse, then visitors to this town would quietly leave and warn the authorities On Facebook, those folks get a guest pass to every other town square again in the world and are free to go around preaching their lunacy to others without being constrained by space, time, or economics. And out of this swamp comes the Orange God King.
1: Right. And this happens at a time when, for decades... Uh, We conservative commentators and, and right wing people were, you know, encouraging people to be very skeptical of the mainstream media. Um, you know, some more than others, Uh, you and I were responsible about it and just critiqued what we thought was wrong or overlooked something or had, you know, didn't include another perspective. But Rush Limbaugh was calling them the drive by media and uh, the, you know, and then, of course, Trump upped it even further and called it fake news. And 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 so there you are. And then when when you can't trust ABC and BBC and uh, and the New York Times, you know, the, the stuff that's the The poison that's rolling out of Facebook seems more plausible,
0: so let's talk about where we're at right now. and I, I, I feel the need to i was I was on one of the cable shows yesterday and talking about the the danger of this game of political chicken the democrats are 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 are, are playing right now. And uh, i I feel the need to constantly remind people that the reason why we are issuing these warnings, is because if the Democrats choose this moment to implode, then you can count on a Republican Congress and perhaps a second Trump term. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. That if, in fact, you know Democrats do believe that we are facing an existential crisis, a rolling attack on our democratic institutions, this is a terrible time to break up that coalition and to, you know, you know, em, em, embrace sort of freedom caucus tactics, but I don't. I, I, I got a whole bunch of blowback when I said I was getting freedom caucus vibes um, from yesterday. I mean, from last week. But I have to tell you, Mona, I, I, there's a lot. I'm. I am feeling a little bit of PTSD watching the progressive caucus say maybe nothing is better than something or yeah. or whatever. We're going to kill this bill. We're going yep. to hold this hostage. The humiliation of Nancy Pelosi, who was forced to break her word, um, that had some echoes for me, and that's what, that. And that's what happened. She promised in writing that there would be a vote, and the progressive caucus said, "We don't care what your promise is. We're going to torpedo that." And apparently, Joe Biden's on on board. What's yeah. happening? Uh, help, so help me,
1: Charlie. um, So. A uh, couple things. First of all, I would like to point out that the New York Times over the weekend had a mm. big editorial about the importance of reforming the Electoral Count Act. Yes, they're a little a- late a- to the party, but, but it was good. an excellent piece, and it was important. And we at the Bulwark have been beating the drum for a long time. You in particular. Um, uh, I, yeah. Anyway, it's it's an it's it's yeah. if the Democrats were really serious about confronting the threat of the anti-democratic. Tendencies in the Republican Party—they would get on this before any of this other stuff—and they're not. Um, so, so that's one thing. And let me just also point out that we published at the Bulwark a piece by Ian Basson, who uh, is not a, uh, a Republican or a former Republican. He he is a lawyer. He is the head of Protect Democracy, and he worked for Barack Obama. Um, and he had a piece about the importance of. When, when countries are trending in an anti-democratic direction, he, he had a conference and he asked the people from countries like Hungary and Poland and elsewhere, you know, do you have any advice for us about how to prevent this from happening here? And they, they all said, make sure the opposition doesn't splinter. And, you know, that is what we're witnessing right now we have a moment here where the threat from the anti-democratic and authoritarian right requires the center left uh, and the left to come together uh, for the sake of the country. And the the left does not seem to have that as their primary goal. They are so, you know, sort of blinkered and and in their approach where they only can see what their goals are. And by the way, trillion. I mean, you know, the the Barack Obama stimulus thing that happened during a huge financial crisis was what, 800 billion? I mean, you know, the... The the numbers here are just crazy, but anyway, and so you know, Joe Manchin is considered some kind of a miser because over the summer he apparently said he could go with one point five trillion. Uh, you know, it's just uh, well, on
0: it, top it, of all the other spending. So this is how, how the, the, the window yeah. has moved. Look, look, I, I I hope that they are able to get something done here, mainly because the alternative uh, is so awful, and I'm I'm not. It is it is bizarre to me. To watch them playing this circular knives of the long night game with one another while the, you know, the orange one is is plotting his 2024 revenge tour. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is running for president and and he's loving this. But I guess part of what was disturbing last week was watching um, how bitter that all fell apart. I mean, how the the bitter feelings, um, the. You know, I think the New York Times had a piece, you know, Biden tax left, um, you know, a yeah. lot of hurt feelings. Uh, there's a piece in the in the Washington Post today that says, you know, they, there's a there's a real trust problem. Um, and I wrote about that in, in, my, in my newsletter I mean, in the Washington Post. Many liberals don't trust moderates now. Key moderates no longer trust congressional leaders or the White House. A few in the House and and a few in the House trust the Senate. As Democrats embark this week on their latest effort to save President uh, Biden's agenda, they're dealing with more than policy differences among their razor thin majority look this is not good because i mean i'm sorry but it seems blindingly obvious to me that you don't get a deal unless people making the deal trust one another at least a little bit and I know that the hive mind out there is you know, tr- you know, beating the crap out of Kirsten Cinema, but maybe you ought to pay attention to a centrist senator from a key swing state when she says, look, you guys made promises. You broke the word. We had good faith negotiations, and these require uh, trust. Her statement, over the course of this year, Democratic leaders have made conflicting promises that could not all be kept and have at times pretended that differences of opinion within our party did not exist even when those disagreements were repeatedly made clear directly and publicly, canceling the infrastructure vote further erodes that trust. Okay, one more point. All the beating up on Kirsten Cinema and following her to bathrooms, which, by the way, talk about crossing every line. Yeah. There are also moderates in the House where there's very little uh, you know, margin for error who are also furious. You got this Josh Gottheimer from mm-hmm. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. who, you know, signed this commitment. He was promised that he would get a vote. And he is just furious. And he's comp- he is comparing the, the squad to the Freedom Caucus. And they said that there, he says, we can't let this small faction on the left destroy the president's agenda and stop the creation of 2 million jobs uh, a year. This far left faction is willing to put the president's entire agenda at risk. They've put civility and bipartisan governing at risk. Look, folks, you can beat up on us all you want, but that is a Democratic member of the House, and it's Democrats like that who are the most vulnerable. And if they go down next year, there goes the House. So perhaps the moderates, you know, deserve to be listened to about this. And this is a this is a scary moment,
1: right? Um, so I, you know, on the Sunday shows yesterday, I heard a number of the uh, progressive members speaking incredibly derisively about the moderates and saying this tiny group of this rump group of Democrats is trying to derail the president's agenda and so forth. Um, you know, barely civil. Um, and, um, you know, there's a, there's another name you can use about moderate Democrats. They are majority makers, okay? You're yeah. never going to have the majority just based on the voters in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York. You know, that's not the way it works. You've got to have those people who are in the marginal districts uh, who can say, you know, that that they got something done, first of all, and also that they are not, that the party hasn't gone, you know, too far. Uh, To the left. And, you know, the the other thing that's incredible here is this. So apparently, uh, as my colleague Bill Galston says, you know, the Democrats, many Democrats seem to assume that it's all lost for them anyway in 2022. So they might as well just swing for the fences now because they're going to lose their majority. Um, But, you know, that's an incredibly short sighted uh, way to try to govern because, uh, you know, 2022 is not the last election we're ever going to have in this country. And if you slowly build a coalition of, of left and center center and and even some center right people for the Democratic Party, which in 2020 looked possible when you looked at the, the nature of the vote for Joe Biden. Um, you know, that is what they should be trying to build. Instead, they're trying to narrow their constituency. And, you know, remember, remember the old Joe Biden who's, who was saying that in the debates with Trump, who Trump was accusing him of being a tool of the socialist left. And he said, may I remind you, I defeated Bernie Sanders. I defeated the, the all the other uh, candidates in the Democratic primary. I want that Joe Biden back.
0: Uh, you you meant you mentioned some of the sound bites from yesterday morning um let's play something from is it is it Pramila uh, Jaipal yes. and I, and I apologize if I've gotten that 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 wrong she's the head of the Progressive Caucus and she's feeling kind of pleased that basically they stuck it to uh, Nancy Pelosi and and the moderates by blocking that vote on the 1 trillion dollar infrastructure package that passed the United States Senate with 69 votes which was an amazing moment because we so rarely see that kind of a bipartisan vote. It's also a, a boatload of money. But uh, she, she was on uh, one of the, the Sunday shows. Uh, let's play her comments.
2: I don't feel the need to give a number because I gave my number. It was 35 so if you're in a negotiation, you need to have a counteroffer before you bid against yourself. So if we're not looking at numbers, what about 1.5, like what Senator Well, Manchin that's not going to happen. So it's going to be somewhere. Well, why won't it add up to that because number? Because of- that's too small to get our priorities in. So it's going to be somewhere, you know, between 1.5 and 3.5. And I think the White House is working on that right now. Because remember, what we want to deliver is childcare, paid leave, yeah. climate change, and I want to get to that. But I just so one point five is too small. But you won't say if two trillion is too small because I don't. I don't have a definite number yet. I mean, yeah. I don't have a counteroffer. Okay. It would be like buying a house, Dana, and going in to make an offer, and then somebody says, "Well, what's the lowest number you would
0: take? Why would I do that?" Okay, the, you know, fair enough. I yeah. mean, that that's the way negotiations go here. But I, I think it's pretty obvious now that this $3.5 trillion reconciliation package is going to be more like $2 trillion. And by the way, I want to talk about lousy messaging. I mean, I, oh I, I know others have railed about this, but yes. but first of all, outside of people like us and, and the Beltway, and I'm not even sure about us, um, nobody really knows what's in this bill. The only thing people know about it is that it costs a lot of money three and a half trillion dollars. Yes. It's over 10. I'm going to get like a hundred emails saying, but it's over 10 years, Charlie. Okay. When you're explaining you're losing, but why not talk about it as the child act, you know, the child credit act of 2021 or the family assistance act of 2021. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's like, they are so convinced of the virtues of this bill that they don't feel the need to have any sort of marketing of the specifics of it, except to go with the, with the number. So I mean, trust me, it's it, it as long as people think it's three point five trillion dollars, that's as much a talking point for the opposition as for the supporters. So what?
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they made actually they made the same mistake about Obamacare Um. They, uh, the, you know, they said, well, once we pass it, you'll find out what's in it and you'll love it, you know, but, uh, but they were a little bit vague about, about what was in it. But, but regarding this bill, I mean, there have been some back and forth. Like I remember Jaya uh, Jayapal being asked, for example, about whether she would be okay with with means testing, some of these things, you know, they they propose to provide, for example, childcare, uh, you know, subsidies to everyone with with little kids. Well, it would be a lot less expensive if they would only provide it to people, you know, with incomes below a certain threshold. But she says, no, that would be too much paperwork, you know, and and that's the sort of thing where you just shrug and say, come on, you know, that's just not reasonable uh i i can so so understand the desire and share the desire to help struggling parents i think that's really important we have a child poverty rate in this country that is way above the average for oecd countries um that's partly because of our family structure here which you know you can find in all of my writings where i talk about the importance of the two-parent family but in the meantime, before we get our family life straightened out, it would be helpful to give parents who are raising children some extra cash. and um, at, But it doesn't make sense to give cash to the children of uh, Bill Gates.
0: So... So this is a really important point because I do think that the child tax credit, and I was listening to, you know, some of these shows where they were asking, you know, Democratic representatives, what was your non-negotiable and, and the, and the expansion of the extension of the child tax credit kept coming up, which I thought was a positive thing because remember earlier this year, there was that about five minutes when it felt like there was the possibility of a bipartisan moment. You had Mitt Romney proposing an extension Mm -hmm. of the child tax credit. You would think that there would be a number of Republicans that would support something that they believed was pro-child, pro-family. And it was sort of like working out the differences between the Romney plan and the Biden plan. And that whole sense that maybe you could come up with kind of a coalition a bipartisan coalition is gone um and you just have to hope that when they whittle it down something like the child tax credit stays there
1: yeah now people are going to push back on me for saying this but I do wonder sort of in the alternate history if the Democrats after those 19 Republican senators had voted uh, for the infrastructure package uh, in the Senate um, if the Democrats had quickly passed it in the house and then moved on to a child tax credit, yeah. um, standalone legislation, or maybe combine one or two other things in it, but, but keep it narrowly focused and included some of Romney's ideas. And so, I mean, maybe, maybe we could have begun to move away from the excessive brinkmanship and partisanship here. I, I don't know. I'm fantasizing now,
0: but well, no, I mean this was part of what we we were hoping that Joe Biden um could do it would be to triangulate a little bit to to take yes. the 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 obvious existing divisions in the Republican Party and finding a way to sort of split that party open from the Trumpists and provide a path forward and on the infrastructure bill, he succeeded. I mean, that's the, yes. kind of the irony—the one that the progressive caucus has been threatening to to kill, at least uh, you know, in the in the near term. I've often thought, speaking of alternative histories, that if Donald Trump had moved on on a real in, bipartisan infrastructure bill early in his presidency, he'd probably still be president agree if, if yeah. he would have, because he could have cracked Well, I'm not
1: sure I agree completely well, actually but <laughs> right. but but
0: he, but he, but, he cra- but he would have cracked open the democrats he would have divided the yes. democrats he would have had a big win um and I think but I was sort of hoping that uh, Joe Biden would engage in that triangulation okay here's a point that that nobody cares about i mean literally and i write about it in my newsletter today um this is this is like a with thousands of pages long this bill And yet nobody really has seen it because there are no committee hearings. There are no hearings. There have been no committee votes on it. It's all being negotiated behind closed doors. And some people think that's a virtue, I guess. The irony is that back in 2017, all of the Democrats proposed the bill, no hearings, no vote bill. Remember, this no hearing, no vote act. Mm -hmm. And it would basically say that You know, any bill that went through reconciliation would have to have at least one committee hearing and to be reported out by at least one Senate committee before the full Senate could vote on it. So and back then, Democrats said we need to have an open and rigorous discussion about these bills and everything. And, of course, Republicans killed that, right, because they were in control. Well, last week, I don't know if you saw this, Republicans are proposing, wait for it, the exact same bill, (laughs) As Democrats attempt to ram a multi-trillion dollar tax and spend spree through Congress with budget reconciliation, uh, a group of GOP senators led by Senators Mike Braun, Richard Burr, and Jim Inhofe are introducing a bill to require that reconciliation bills receive a full hearing before votes can occur, and they're calling it the no-hearing, no-vote bill, and point out it was first introduced in 2017 by Senator Chuck Schumer and 39 Democrats. Okay. So here's my take on this. This is really a good idea because, the, you know, the alternative is this is a lousy way to run a democracy. Trillion dollar legislation should not be negotiated in secret. I mean, you should have you should have debate, you should have legislative process, give and take. Uh, you know, you have sunshine on the details. But of course, see, this is the, the age we're living in. It's like these bills were not actually offered in good faith. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're trolling at this point. It's all performative. It's all just a matter of whose ox is being gored. And, and let's be honest about it. Everybody out there, you don't care unless it's the other guy is rushing through his mega bill in the middle of the night. Right. So right.
1: so it's one of those laws of politics that nobody cares about process. Right. But arguably, and I think process is the first cousin to the rule of law. And once process breaks down, the rule of law is also in danger. You know this big story over the weekend about the the Pandora Papers and oh all of gosh, these, yeah. right? All of this corruption all around the world. Um, and uh, it's not surprising that the most corrupt countries are the ones with the least process, the least rule of law, the least openness, right? And and if if that's the direction we want to head, uh, we're, we're doing well with, uh, with dispensing, with, with hearings and, and process. The, it's, it's critical. Um, you know, I, I was very critical of Barack Obama back when he was president for changing the rules of Obamacare kind of on the fly by executive order instead of asking for the Congress to change the law. Um, and, uh, you know, because process matters and uh, process is a safeguard Against uh, corruption, against high handedness, against the influence of small, um, uh, you know, elite groups who can twist the law to suit their own purposes rather than the public interest. I mean, all, For all those reasons, process is crucial and it's hard to get people to pay attention to it or to care.
0: It is. No, but but sunshine also prevents you from making mistakes and doing things that you didn't intend to do. So I want to talk about your piece that you had last week. I thought it was excellent, um, and you can find it at the Bulwark, uh, What we lost when the GOP lost itself, and you point out, and this was completely lost. I had not even seen this until I read your piece. That thirty-five Republican senators signed a letter to Schumer. Um, about an aspect of the House reconciliation bill that they that they found uh, disturbing that, that that apparently creates harmful marriage penalties. It won't go into necessarily the detail, but but it was it was actually a pretty legitimate point, right, to say right. that the one thing you don't want to do. Is rejigger this, and this is very complex stuff. I mean, there's lots of times when, and, and I'm not saying that it's easy, but but sometimes when you create policies, you you build in disincentives, and this has been an ongoing problem for 50 or 60 years. So they were right about that, though, weren't they?
1: Yes, uh, they made a very valid point. Um, you know, I've I've written a lot about the um, decline of marriage and the rise of single parent families, and how. Uh, unhealthy this is for children and for our society in general. And there are all kinds of, there's a ton of social science research, right, left, center, everybody along the political spectrum agrees two parents are better than one. And in a lot of ways, uh, boys especially, uh, you know, do not do well in single parent homes and uh, tend to, uh, you know, much more likely to get in trouble with the law and not finish uh, college and or not finish high school and on and on and on. More health problems, more violence, you name it. Okay. So, um, the, you know, how do you get people to decide to get married when they, when they want to become parents? Well, you know, that's actually kind of hard. And government is not very good at encouraging people to engage in healthy behaviors. Uh, you know, I mentioned all the government efforts to exhort people to keep their weight down and exercise more. And, you know, that, those don't work. Um, well-intentioned, though, they may be. But And the efforts that the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, undertook to encourage marriage, uh, those didn't seem to have any effect. Mm. But one thing we can certainly do is not make it worse by financial incentives built into our social safety net programs and our tax law that penalize people for getting married. If they're living together unmarried and their taxes are lower or their benefits are lower... Uh, are higher rather than they would be if they got married that is a disincentive to marriage that could have huge effects and all in the wrong direction and it's something that the democrats
0: ought to pay attention to okay but, but yeah but the but, point of, yes th- this is what made your piece so interesting you basically said you're right about this but this is why it's terrible that republicans have set themselves on fire exactly uh
1: there you know we need a good solid sane conservative party in this country and that's not the Republican Party anymore uh, this is a party that uh you know is is uh refusing to vote for a commission to look into the January 6th insurrection this is a party that's that's hosting the likes of Marjorie Taylor Green and the aforementioned Madison Cawthorn and Lauren Boebert and all the rest of the Crackpots. Um, this is a party that is passing legislation to make it harder to vote and to make it easier for uh, Republican legislatures to overturn the will of the people. When you do all those things, you discredit the entire party. You 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 discredit the Republicans and make people think, well, they really don't have the best interests of the American people at heart. They're they're all about power, or they're all about something that Bart being a personality cult. And so their good points about, you know, marriage penalties are are not going to be taken as seriously in this sort of an environment. And that is a tragedy.
0: Yeah, this is this is part of the problem that and and, and, and I we we've said this before and I, I think it's it bears repeating. This country Needs two rational, serious parties. There's always going to be that push and pull. Um, And if one party loses its mind, the other party is not going to simply be able to go on and make sure that everything's okay because you need that sort of back and forth. You need the thesis and the antithesis. I mean, on spending issues, there's always that tension and it's a legitimate debate between the cost of things and the needs, right? It's like right. Democrats will focus on, well, this is the need out in the in, in society. We need to solve that, that problem, which is a legitimate concern. It's a very important concern. Republicans will point to the cost and say, well, this is what we can afford. We can't afford this. You need to have some sort of a synthesis there. And if one right. party decides that it is going to um, embrace its inner lunatic, Then you don't have that back and forth, and so you you will lose. You don't necessarily just lose the idea, but I think you point out that today's Republican Party has forfeited the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is part of it. Is you you can't. You you will only listen to someone's argument if you think that it's offered in something like good faith, and that's hard to do with the modern Republican Party.
1: Exactly. This is a party that just last week was it uh, that Mitch McConnell. Um, said that he was going to filibuster a standalone bill to raise the debt limit.
0: I, this is so nihilistic. I mean, yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, that is just so irresponsible. And, you know, I, I heard Pat Toomey on one of the shows, who I used to respect, but I heard him making this completely ridiculous argument that this was for Democrats' spending and it had nothing to do with the Republicans. Well, that's just not true. It's for It's for paying bills that have already been racked up and uh, they were certainly part of increasing the deficit the republicans by their big tax cuts so it's completely
0: irresponsible in the four years of the trump administration they added more than seven trillion dollars to the national debt And, and this is the political party that had for years claimed to be the party of fiscal conservatism so this is the height of hypocrisy but also the nihilism When you raise the debt by $7 trillion and then you refuse to raise the limit to pay the debt that you incurred and somehow then you posture that it's the other guy's fault. I mean, it's uh, it is it is one of the well, we've had so many low moments in American politics. So can we end on a a positive note? I don't know. I'm I'm looking around here. If you insist. uh, No, 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 I (laughs) I'm, you know, I I mean, it's it's, sooner or later, this is going to be resolved. One, one assumes that it's going to be going to be resolved. But um, I I would I would hope that I would hope the Democrats not get sucked into their bubble, because I'll tell you the other thing in my PTSD flashback with the with the Tea Party and the in the Freedom Caucus is it also became part of the the media ecosystem that was demanding, don't give up, you know, you know, you know, stand strong. And you could see that forming on the left, where all of the focus is on encouraging the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the the, the squad to, you know, take the hardest possible line. And I think we saw that, how that worked out for Republicans. Although I, I will, I will say that I didn't hear many Democrats draw a firm line in the in the sand. I didn't hear a lack of flexibility, but I would say that the betrayal of the centrists, the anger of the moderates, the feeling that their trust has been violated is a real problem, and and that may take more than a few weeks to to fix that.
1: Uh, yes, and uh, you know, let us hope that it is not the case that this stand firm message to the progressive Democrats is the equivalent of. But he fights from the Republican side.
0: Exactly. Mona and thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.